0: Oh. Hey, uh, you lucky libertarians, welcome to another edition, and this time a really special edition of the Scottish Liberty Podcast with me, Tom Laird. And me, Anton. And Joe. we have former US Marine libertarian activist, author, podcaster, broadcaster, and dare I say, we've got, we've got our, Oh, they can hear Okay. Sorry, <laughs> actor... Yeah. You, you're you're not you're not currently incarcerated, Adam, no. <laughs>
1: uh, d- uh only in the United Soviet States of America. I right. I, I think they built a wall okay. to keep us in.
0: And prospective Okay dear. But uh prospective presidential candidate. Is that still on to go ahead with that?
1: Yes, we are on a sixty-eight city national tour right now. We happen to be in Tallahassee, Florida. And we've been touring the country recruiting delegates for Kokush for President, although right now it's Kokush for not President because we're not filing FEC paperwork yet. But it's also much more accurate to say that I'm running for not president because I'm running on the platform of the immediate dissolution of the entire United States federal government going in as a bankruptcy agent, declaring it of no authority whatsoever, resigning from the presidency to become custodian of the federal government for the purpose of carrying out this preordained process that people are going to be able to vote for really what we're doing. Is turning the United States presidential election into a referendum on whether or not the federal government itself should be allowed to continue to exist?
2: Small man, start off small. Maybe, well, <laughs> maybe once you've won that one, you can set your theory dissolution of of world of all. Of the- but yeah, it's a good start.
0: So, yeah, uh, so how are you so, going to go about
2: exactly? It? Yeah. <laughs>
0: You're going to, are you are you going to run as an independent candidate then or are you going to run as a republican candidate How independent
1: oh i'm i'll be running as a libertarian i'm a lifetime member of the libertarian party and it's the only one that i can say that about of course Uh, I ran as a Republican when Ron Paul endorsed me for Congress in 2010 as part of the Ron Paul incursion into the Republican Party, which I think has proven to be uh, a failed strategy, and I think the future of freedom is in the Libertarian Party. So what we're doing right now is getting people organized for the 2018 National Convention because we want to change the direction of the party for the new Libertarian strategy of localization, which is the everybody-gets-what-they-want strategy. You get government localized down to the community level, everybody gets what they want you want a community organized with your values as long as you're not forcing them on anybody else you can have that in your community so we want to introduce a plank into the libertarian party platform uh and and we might there's some uh, old language that's been used before that said we support the elimination or reduction of all government wherever possible we just want to add one word to that localization because i think there's really nothing more unlibertarian or anti-freedom that you can say than I want to be president of the United States. I want to take over this whole area, this territory. I want to be in charge of this violent entity and impose my libertarian ideas on the entire country as opposed to what we're saying, which is, I'm going to throw the ring in the fire. We, we don't need to continue the system anymore. It shouldn't be allowed to exist at all. No one should be president. When we have government at the states as opposed to the federal level, everybody has government that's a lot more in line with their values, their needs, and, and their communities. And I think this is really just the first step of getting to uh, an ideal peaceful, voluntary, libertarian social order of small, localized governments, although at that point I would not call them government because they're essentially voluntary at that point, but that you get government localized down to the community level. In the United States, we get rid of the federal government, we get rid of the state governments, we get government down to the county level, we're basically done. We have a great system of subsidiarity here and an American tradition of leading the world forward in freedom by overthrowing the biggest empire the world has ever known, uh, of course, in the first American Revolution, it was the British Empire. And now in the final revolution, uh, final American Revolution, it is the American people overthrowing the American Empire. And it is just, it is a really exciting time to be alive because people are ready for this. People are like, you know, you had the Scottish independent vote uh, you have right now in Catalonia and Kurdistan. Very strong independence movements making headlines in the United States. There are a lot of states, even California now, that would rather be independent than forced into the Union. And if we can basically all secede at the same time, then everybody gets a a much greater uh, fair share of how things come out in that process. And I think putting together a deliberate, peaceful, orderly, responsible way of dissolving the United States federal government is uh, really the only way that we achieve our goals in a sustainable manner. What we're talking about is not revolutionary so much as evolutionary.
2: Right, and okay. I think in America there is a particular problem. People have two largely ideological voting blocks, where and you have, say, Republicans trying, especially Bible Belt um, strain, trying to impose their values on who can get married to who, and sort of drug wars. They are more hawkish on foreign policy. So uh, and traditionally they've been more anti than the liberals who want to um impose all of these economic and their views on say abortion or whatever on states where those views are unpopular. So, so uh, appetite there may be For some people, get more of that trying to ram their views down everyone else's throats at gunpoint. I'm actually interested in knowing what it's been like for you to get out and talk to like random people while you're touring, and um, ever not in the libertarian movement yet. When you've been getting out there, and what what is that like?
1: Yeah, well, it's been awesome and sometimes I I think we're just we we this is going to be way easier than any of us thought. You know, that we've already won in the sense that we've already achieved the fundamental paradigm shift of people, thanks to the internet, no longer feeling like we're bound by tradition, that we have to be this way because it's always been this way, that America has to be united under one government to be united in American values. These silly lines drawn on a map by politicians and circumstance of history that don't represent us no longer hold any weight. And so when I get out, and this is one of the things i love most about doing a tour like this is talking to non-libertarians and uh this tour has been kind of a nightmare of mechanical issues so uh, i like to say that we talk to a lot of mechanics that's our you know our nice slice of blue collar america on this tour that we've been talking to a lot And they say, you know, when they see the Freedom logo, I have the big Freedom logos all over uh, our vehicle, and they'll say, what's Freedom? And I say, well, it's this book that I wrote when I was in jail for civil disobedience. It's banned in jails now because it's about how we create a more peaceful, productive, and harmonious world by dissolving government altogether. That's the philosophy at the the heart of this, right? And normally the response is...
2: But what? (laughs) How will you you stop monopolies monopolies without government? government? Uh, <laughs> when we were when we were out, that was the most common questions we really? got That's, asked. Over
1: here. Well, you know, in in the United States, it's but without a military, who's going to keep us safe? And it's I mean, it's obviously based on a false premise, you know, because having a military makes us less safe in every way imaginable. But when it when it comes to monopolies, oh, I mean, it just do you really want to be able to? This is this is an important part of the strategic shift that that I'm advocating for right now within the libertarian movement relates to how you would answer that question, because if we make this a debate club. We're never going to be a political force. And if you want to debate, you know, uh, your ideals, your ideology, you'll be arguing with people forever. And that's a losing game. You know, even if you're right, you can win battles and it makes it harder to win the war. But if you say, hey, it's about localization, it's well, hey, you, you want to stop monopolies from having the, you know, being able to force themselves on you and your community, right? So, hey, let's get government down to the local level where you guys get to control what is an appropriate business to be doing business in your community. Rather than having the federal government do it, into being everybody forced into this one size fits all solution, and and to go back about the uh, what you were talking about the polarization right now. Let's imagine literally half the country is Democrat and half is Republican. We know that's not true because most don't fit into either category. Most are independent or libertarian leaning or moderate or whatever. Uh, It's really more like, you know, a quarter of the country is Democrat and a quarter of the country is Republican, but they're the ones that vote the most. Most independents, libertarian types, uh, you know, are, are smart enough to know that voting is usually a waste of your time. So, but among these Democrats and Republicans, a lot of them, would rather have a Democratic state or Republican state than to be forced into a system that ties them to each other where they have to fight. And this is one amazing opportunity that we have with this strategy of vote swapping. You know, you can imagine the typical like husband wife scenario where one's a Republican, one's a Democrat and they go out and vote and their votes cancel each other out. Right. But both of them would rather have a libertarian. Both of them would rather have, Someone who respects their individual rights or you look at a state, you know, you have one state voting Republican, one state voting Democrat, because they want their state to be organized a certain way. And they're stuck in this thinking that we have to force us all under one system, that America has to be united under one government. And frankly, that in and of itself is anti-American. The most American thing we can do right now to live up to the tradition of our founders and the legacy of what Americanism should be is to come up with a solution as big as the problem and dissolve the entire federal government.
0: Okay. Okay. I mean, that's a, that, that's, that's quite, I mean, especially when, I mean, I was saying, you know, that, that I think it comes from uh, from a, from a science fiction book that I wrote, which is that you're you're trying to people's hell of squares that they can't see the circles that you're trying to draw them, and I just wondered what was it for you from being a nominal libertarian. I think I heard your uh, podcast that you know you knew this word libertarian and you thought you were a libertarian and you, and you went along with it. But when did that transition from being a nominal libertarian to an actual libertarian and in a uh, an uh, effect, an anarcho-capitalist. What was that journey? How did that happen? When did that happen?
1: Well, I, I'm not sure how you're using the terminology here, um, okay. because I, I became a libertarian. I became a lifetime member of the Libertarian Party in 2004 when I got back from Iraq. It was uh, the first time I could actually afford it. But, uh, you know, libertarian can mean two different things, obviously. Well, I mean, it can mean a lot of different things. And really, because it's such a... Uh, I mean, if you define it as someone who believes in the doctrine of free will, which is one of the dictionary definitions of libertarian, lots of people can interpret that in different ways. Obviously, there's the, the capital L libertarian that is the person who identifies with the libertarian party. And I actually was a capital L libertarian before I was a small L libertarian. And my gateway to this message was in high school at some point. They said, "Do you want to be a Republican or Democrat?" And I, and I was like, "Wait, wait, wait! I, I have to be lame? Are you really? I don't have, I don't have a choice here. This is America, right? There's there's got to be a way to opt out." And they said, "Well, there's these libertarians over here. These crazy people who like to be left alone, and uh, they believe in this you know socially liberal, fiscally conservative." And I was like, "Yeah, leave me alone. That's me because I was a punk kid." But there's a reason that I'm I'm so passionate now. About communicating the message of libertarianism not as a political message. I mean, I think we use politics to create practical platforms, to create practical policy, and we use it to spread a message. But the message itself is not political, it is anti political, it is an ethical message. It is self ownership and voluntarism and the non aggression principle. And the reason this is so important to me is that getting the political version of libertarianism did not stop me from enlisting in the Marine Corps. It did not stop me from volunteering to go to right. Iraq in the war of aggression based on lies. It didn't stop me from torturing people in Fallujah. And I think it's the message of ethics, not the message of politics, that ultimately is what's going to change the world. So it wasn't until uh, well after that, I suppose, right. uh, I became, I became a, a big L libertarian in high school. Then uh, I joined Iraq Veterans Against the War uh, You know, after I got out of college, after I got out of the Marine Corps, and it wasn't until 2010 when I was running for Congress uh, in New Mexico that I listened to the audiobook of Ethics for Liberty or Ethics of Liberty by Murray Rothbard. And, and that's what made me a small L libertarian or a voluntarist, anarcho-capitalist, whatever word you want to describe it. Although I got to say, as much as I love Murray Rothbard, as much as he is really the intellectual godfather of the modern freedom movement, to coin the word Anarcho-capitalism is like, let's take the two worst, most hated words that we could possibly use to describe what we're talking about and cram them together into one word that's guaranteed to piss off everybody. So if we're going to use the word anarcho-capitalist, we have to be clear that by anarcho we mean anarchists in the sense of a world with no rulers so if you have any government in that system it has to be voluntary and when we say capitalist we mean that you own yourself you own your body and your mind and the product of your labor. And if you yes. choose to engage in a socialist or communal, whatever kind of system based on that, it still has to be based on your belief that you are getting value out of that, out of your voluntary exchange with that, which makes it capitalist. Not, we want big corporations. I mean, yes, that can happen. Not that we want any you know great concentrations of wealth or power of banking system, but anarcho-capitalist, if it means the same thing, voluntarist, libertarian, it's about self-ownership the non-aggression principle and a world of non-violence
2: yeah because a lot of people obviously think what we have now is capitalism and when people say capitalism they mean what we have now so anarcho-capitalism just sounds like a worse version (laughs) of what we have now i've never been keen on the term i would personally prefer to use voluntarist but because no one knows what a voluntarist is i usually just say i'm either a libertarian or an anarchist now one of the problems with the government, and it comes back to one of the benefits of localism, is when you have this two-party system with everyone else trying to cram down each other's throats, while well, they're overfall, gay marriage, abortion, and and all these ideological differences. They can get away with basically being the same on all the bad shit, like cracking down on civil liberties, less economic freedom, war on uh, drugs, war on drugs uh, violence overseas, and and is no taxation. You have in your book a chapter and on. A brief history toolkit. How did we come to be in a position where we have this abomination which everyone just accepts as a basic fact of life? I mean, government have killed maybe coming up to 500 million of their own people in the 20th century and about as many of each other's people in war. So that's almost a billion. standards of living by not allowing the prices of goods and services to fall in a free market. And yet everyone thinks that this is something that's necessary. Tell us a bit about the brief history of the government racket.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that, because it's a really important thing that I think differentiates my worldview from a lot of libertarians, or, or I think it's something that i formed uh with with a particular eye to where is this going in the future and having to then look back into the past to find dynamics so if i look to the future and i say well are we going to be a more libertarian or less libertarian more free more peaceful society or is it possible that we could get worse i have to look at the trends and the most important one to me is the deaths by violence and if you look at human history we are living in the most peaceful times in human history uh, ever. And this is not my observation. This is academically demonstrated by Professor Steven Pinker at Harvard, who gave a great TED Talk on the subject and has written a number of books. And he proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that across the globe you are less likely today than ever before to be subject to violence at the hands of another human being and when you understand the relationship with that and freedom that is a beautiful thing to celebrate you know that's like I, that makes me want to say go team people but, you know this is this is the course of human progress to be more harmonious Thanks. to be more uh, peaceful to be more cooperative and so w- when i when i look to the future with that uh you know i, I can't i can't imagine that that trend won't continue but what you the way that you raise that question Raises the idea that that you know we we've lived we've come to this modern era of big government, and it's true. And you point out all those statistics about the numbers of deaths, but still, the governments before that proportionally, and the people who died in war was more than that. So while we've had these concentrated effects of, of the modern war era of World War One, World War Two, you know the phenomena that happened on that scale, still overall globally violence is down, and it's it's kind of a you know something you have to wrap your head around. You have to do the numbers really have confidence in this, but to to, to realize that, yes, even with these modern aberrations of large-scale war, it's, it's still on the decline. And you look to now to today, the worst kinds of wars that governments can get away with are these little proxy wars, you know, like throughout the Middle East, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan, global war on terror, Syria, all the different countries that were involved in the Arab Spring. So, when I look at that, when I take that view of history, uh, I, I see that we're coming to a, a more free time. Now, you might look at the size of government and say, "Oh well, gee, Adam, your model doesn't really hold up because government has just grown exponentially and spending, and you know, over the last few hundred years of modern technological development. And in, in you know, one of the theories Stephen Pinker credits with the decline in, in violence is government. And as a libertarian, I want to go, no, 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 you know, you can't give government credit for anything but you can in the sense that it's taken a monopoly on functions that society would has been getting better at and will do better without government but that the accountability government has served as a mechanism of accountability i think that's an important thing of course we'd have better accountability without government but government with modern technology you know serving people catching murderers things like that at least is better than pre-technology society where people could get away with violent crimes on a regular basis without that kind of accountability and again this is something that stephen pinker very convincingly uh academically makes the case for so if if, if my model is going to hold true i have to be able to address this so i, I would ask is big government always worse than small government and of course, as libertarians, were inclined to say, yes, of course, big government is always worse than small government, but it's not. And I can prove it. And this is really important to understanding what is the metric by which we measure government versus freedom. So would you rather have a society where government is huge? Half of the population works for government, but they only do things that are legitimate services. They only do things that the market would provide. They pretty much respect people's rights. They're peaceful. The only things they do that are violent, essentially, are the minimal necessary to maintain their monopoly on those big services, those major parts of the economy. But they still run them in a way that provide more or less what the market would. Or would you rather have a government that's 1% of the population but murders every firstborn child? see where i'm going with this and what the conclusion i come to from this little thought exercise is that the metric of the evil of government is not its size but how much it violently removes us from our natural state of harmony that we would have without it so while yes governments have grown in size we are still living i believe in the most peaceful and therefore the most free times in human history yes Two steps forward, one step backward. You can measure this in different ways on different dimensions in different places at different times, but I'm very confident in the overall trend that we are working towards a more free world.
2: I'd just like to comment on the Go Team people. Actually <laughs> if you look at it doing you know, we don't take part of the planet, we have, have these war-ups. On the other hand, I think we're really not designed by nature to be in a global village. Like, we're designed to be in communities of up to maybe 300 people. So it's amazing that we're actually doing as many ways, given that nature hasn't given us the equipment to, to deal with these kinds of situations. And I think it would be right to say there was a time in history where... Where homicide was the cause of death for for people, so uh, there's certainly a lot to celebrate, and it's easy to focus on the bad. But certainly, techno technology, and with a little and a little innovation, I think the private sector throw the corrupt education system on. Universities that are much better than Ivy League, days and cost the cost and Uber, and, but self driving Ubers will get rid of um a lot self-flying of environmental Ubers. damage and this and that. So, flying self-flying. Ubers, flying yeah, Ubers, Ubers. Uh, is what uh, we have by now. If it wasn't for government, uh, self flying, yeah,
0: if it wasn't for government, who knows? We could be t- why did they?
2: Build
1: all those roads. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, on, on the tour here, I like to make a joke about uh, how I built the road on, on my property in Arizona because it didn't connect to any existing roads. So we're going to name my road uh, that was built without government. We're going to see this on a street sign soon road. here. My road.
2: Excellent. So my address is road. <laughs> That's awesome So I've got I'm
0: going to read a question actually one of our, uh, One of our views uh, has put to us uh, David cup and uh has question to you Adam is uh, I guess it's probably to do with your activism He says what do you think is the most efficient? respectful and effective deprogramming tech? tactic when conversing with a person in the military law enforcement minutes and even seconds to get them to understand not fight they're not protecting you and maybe you know
1: yeah that's a great question because
0: people who have
1: yeah no it's a a great question because there are a lot of people in the you know in in the employment of government in the enforcement class who have that stronger emotional attachment that you have to overcome but i wouldn't really single them out i don't think you can say there's a strategy for talking to soldiers and a strategy for talking to cops and then the strategy for talking to marines like myself is you know not give them any crayons to eat but uh, when it's, uh, when you're talking about people who are, are working for the government, it's, it's, it's not yeah. much different than, you know, someone who worked for government 20 years and retired. It's not much different from someone who's a family member who, you know, maybe had a, a police officer family member killed in, in the line of duty, um, you know, or, or just a, a relative in the military or a family tradition of being in the military. And it, it's really about judging the individual. And I think it's much more important to to convert someone to, to free thought, to thinking for themselves, to forming a worldview based on their own reason and logic, rather than accepting a worldview that has been handed to them by government or some other authority. And if the, if you if you can make someone a free thinker, it's more important than making them a libertarian because if they're thinking for themselves, they'll become a libertarian eventually. So when you're talking to someone like that, I think you just have to be particularly sensitive to what is their emotional attachment. But I would remind you that, uh, well, I've, I've, this is my third national tour like this. And everywhere I go, I ask people, how did you wake up? And I'd like to think I have one of the best bodies of at least anecdotal data as to how people become libertarians. And generally, it doesn't happen from a conversation. So that's really important that to, just to understand that you're not going to yell at someone in a bar loud enough to make them a libertarian. It's just, it's not going to happen. Uh, very few people have said, Well, I just had this buddy and we sat down one day and we talked about it. And he was like, You should be a libertarian. And I was like, Oh, yeah, you're right. You know, I've never heard that story.
0: And so it, it's it's important. Thing I know of that, Adam. you don't yell at people in the pub. But yeah, right. <laughs> that's one for me. <laughs> so it's
1: it's important to recognize that it's a deeply personal process of getting rid of that worldview that's forced on us to one based on our own thinking so that's why i wrote my book freedom it's free in every digital format possible including audiobook I, i think if you can get someone like that to read a book if they're if you're close to them you know if you can say hey look can you do me a favor if they're a family member of yours can you take 15 minutes to just read the first chapter of this book which lays out this philosophy that i believe in that's very important to me and if they say no i can't take 15 minutes for you screw that you know then Maybe, maybe that you shouldn't be too involved with them, but uh, really yeah. when when you're talking to someone who has that high emotional attachment, it's often hard to get them to even consider. Uh, a worldview that's that's different uh, and it's hard to get them to even engage in conversation that challenges their worldview. And that's why I think asking someone to read a book or an article or something because it, it has to happen uh, on their own time. you know when, when we engage in conversation, we're, we're kind of programmed to defend our worldview. You know we have confirmation bias all these things that that keep us in in an irrational worldview are are these walls that are up in conversation that we feel like we have to defend and if you want to get those walls to come down if you want to get behind those walls it's going to be by finding a way to ask someone to consider these ideas on their own in quiet contemplation now that's not always possible and sometimes yeah you do want to engage in conversation i think that's very it's very important as a gateway for this and this is where if you watch my videos on youtube i think I provide an excellent example of staying calm using nonviolent communication and driving a conversation with the Socratic dialogue techniques of asking questions that lead someone to a different conclusion than the one they thought was correct at the beginning of the conversation. And I don't, I just want to lower the expectations because, you know, you can, you can walk someone through a Socratic dialogue and prove that government is illegitimate, unethical, and holding back humanity if you want to do that. But if, you know, if you're, uh, just trying to get them engaged, just trying to get them thinking, uh, get them to that point where they can, they can take some of that conversation, some of that information, maybe they can read something or start watching videos where they can do it on their own. They can do it alone. They can do it where they can readjust their worldview without the peer pressure, uh, or social pressure of doing that in front of other people.
2: Even what I was going to say. Okay. Oh you know, yeah, I just wanted to mention that watching some of those uh, videos where you confront people, I find times seeing them squirm when they when you highlighted the fact that they didn't know um, as much as they thought they did. But um, I guess that thing like if it makes them go away and. Re- said her, but I am on that front. I just tell people why they're wrong sometimes, which seems easier to do. Although I think... Well, again, quite, you know, so... Um,
1: if I may go back, though... You know, this is again the strategy of localization makes this a lot sure. easier because when you're trying to push an ideology, you're pushing an ideology on someone as opposed to saying, "Hey, I've got this idea for practical policy that makes everyone's life better immediately." Of localizing government, so when someone comes to you and says, "Well, I think government should do X," the typical libertarian response is, "No," and let me argue with you, and I can prove it, and we're going to debate and you know play the zero sum game. I'm right, you're wrong thinking of it as a political conversation. And if you say instead, look, do you so if government should do X, are you okay with government doing X just at your community level? Are you okay with government doing X in such a way that you don't force other people who don't want to be a part of that system into your system? Are you okay with when government is doing X in your community that you don't force it on your neighboring community? And if you answered yes to all of those questions, congratulations, you're a libertarian, and if you want to take this First step in the right direction with us of localizing government. Then the Libertarian Party is your party, and this is really hard for a lot of Libertarians to get because we're such analytical thinkers. You know, we we really are unusually nerdy that way. We have a a, a weird intellectual strain that sets us apart from the rest of the population. Most people don't think in those terms and that's fine. So if we get a special vision of of how humanity moves forward based on our analysis of government and society and philosophy and violence and nonviolence and freedom, then the way that we take charge and say, look everybody, this is what we're doing, here's the practical first step, can we all do this together? Stop arguing philosophy stop trying to debate how many libertarian angels can dance on the head of a pin it doesn't matter and that debate actually slows down the process of bringing about a society that can have consensus on taking this first step together and it's not just an american thing i think in the united states right now i'm i'm really honored this is like the one thing that makes me patriotic is that we have an opportunity now to fulfill the first American Revolution's promise and overthrow, again, the world's biggest empire and lead the world forward in freedom. But when we do this in the United States and people go, oh, wow, once again, the United States now is that much more freer, safer, and prosperous because they got rid of their big central government. Every other government around the world is going to be racing to do the same thing because people everywhere will be demanding this kind of self-determination.
0: And are you really, that's, that's I'm sorry, you're breaking up. Can you say that again? Sorry, I, I, are you really that confident? I mean, you seem confident. You said it sounds like you believe it. You're selling it to me, but is it? Are you really that confident that that, that you're on the brink of that?
1: Well, if if you want to hear uh, what what I think of a sort of legitimate uh, conservative timeline for this, uh, as as for my presidential campaign, I'm not running an educational campaign. I'm running to win. We are running. Uh, to dissolve the federal government, we will have the executive order in place as a a practical way of dissolving the federal government so that in November, when the American people vote, they know exactly what they are voting on. And I, I you know, if I was a, a praying man, I would be praying all day and night that before 2020, we get to this black swan moment that we achieve, uh, you know, this extra paradigm shift specifically around dissolving the United States federal government so we can do it in 2020. But realistically, I don't think that uh, it's un, un you know it would be out uh, unexpected or uh, I I don't think we should settle for less than having a breakout year for the Libertarian Party in 2020 and break 10 yeah. percent and I think when we stop going I'm socially liberal and fiscally conservative I'm the best of both worlds. So the American people go, you mean the best of both shit worlds that we don't want anything to do with? You know, that when we put forth a practical policy that's actually libertarian, that's actually based on our principles, that is a solution as big as the problem, I think we can unite all Americans against the common enemy of big central government. But in 2020, if all we do is plant the flag on this idea, that we can have nobody for president and everybody knew that that was a possibility, I think we can break 10%. And I think if we do that, it means in 24 we'll be competitive and we'll be getting around 25%. And then if the federal government still exists in 28, then that's where I don't think we could, the federal government will be able to maintain its consensus that it should be allowed to continue to exist. And one way or another, I will continue to run until the federal government ceases to exist.
0: You're you're up against, there's a lot of people with their nose in the trough, there's some big agencies, there's some big government agencies, you've had a taste of it, just, you know, in your activism, I've seen you body slammed to the floor by cops, etc. These are big outfits to fuck with.
1: Yeah, well, some people have said that they won't let me win because I'll get shot first. And if that's the case, so be it. I've risked my life for less worthy causes before, obviously, having volunteered to go to Fallujah in 2004 with the Marines. And, you know, I've been told they won't let you win because they'll they'll steal the election. They'll control the process. And it's true that they can to some degree, but we have... Uh, so much more accountability for elections now in 2017 than ever before that y- you really can't cheat the exit polls too much. You know, if Hillary Clinton was polling at 90% the day of the election and the next day they said, "Oh no, never mind, it was Donald Trump by a hair," you know, no one would believe it. Government yeah. would have no credibility. And I, I know that we're not going to win with this platform, 34% to the old parties, 33, 33 we're gonna win when we have an overwhelming majority and a clear public mandate. I think we're gonna have to win the exit polls and we're gonna have to win with something like 60% in order to be able to go in there and say, we have an undeniable public mandate. The federal government is no longer allowed to exist with the consent of the American people.
2: Okay. yeah, but I thought it would be a good question to wrap up. You... Okay, no,
0: then I'll i cut in with this yeah. one. I mean, back on practicalities. Then one, of one of the one of the things that uh, I get asked. I'm a Scottish Libertarian Party, and whenever I'm campaigning or wherever I'm doing anything, I get asked. I'm a next. I'm a former veteran myself, and I get asked by veterans, guys I used to serve with, what are you going to do for veterans? And I have to say, well, look how you feel if you you think if they entitled to government money, it's veterans because they were working on behalf of government, they went to their deaths on behalf of government, they got injured on behalf of government, so they should be entitled to government money. But trying to explain to them, look, the government doesn't have any money, the only money that government has is money from, force from people who agree with the war in the first place, so why should they have to fork out when they didn't agree that the war should have taken place in the first place? What, you must have had questions like this yourself. What do you, what's the practicalities? What can we do? I mean, anything I can, but what are we going to do, say, to, to fellow veterans when they ask you that question? Yeah, well, in the United
1: States, we have a really great answer to that. I can't speak to uh, universally if this would be appropriate for every country, but we have uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs here as a federal agency in the United States that provides medical care to veterans, and it's, uh, it's a disaster, notoriously so. We have a veteran suicide epidemic in America with at least 22 veterans committing suicide every single day, and if you don't think it's because of the VA, let me tell you my story. I went in there when I was uh, getting back from Iraq or when, after I got back, and I told them that I was having trouble sleeping. I walked out of there with a little paper bag. Five prescriptions, three of which had suicide listed as a side effect. They are literally killing veterans on behalf of the United States pharmaceutical industry, keeping safe alternatives like marijuana, MDMA, and mushrooms from being available to treat PTSD in ways that would be more effective than most any of the pharmaceuticals. And they don't have suicide as a side effect. So how do we address this in the United States? When we liquidate the federal government, we spin off the VA as a private institution. Now, most people think of privatization in terms of government privatization, and that's a terrible thing where they take broadly available public resources, and put them in the hands of a few rich assholes. In this case, we have the bureaucracy of the VA, which is in the hands of a few rich assholes who pull the strings on the bureaucrats and the politicians. And what I mean when I say privatize is ethical privatization, putting resources in the hands of people who have an actual interest in them. So you take the VA out of their hands and privatize it as an independent institution and give every veteran in America one ownership voting share there's no reason the va shouldn't exist it just cannot continue to be funded by taxes so you spin it off you put the resources that are there you give it some portion to make sure that it has a good start hopefully we have so much money when we dissolve the federal government that is stolen from us for so long that we can fund it in a way uh, hopefully we can fund it until this generation of of uh, american veterans is is no longer with us And when you you put those resources in the hands of veterans, I guarantee you're not going to have 22 veterans committing suicide every day.
2: Right. We've got a couple from the audience. One would, Chapman, so would you be fine rejecting immigrants into one's historical neighborhoods enforced by government I think he means supposing it was on the local level supposing you get which by the left and the right do frequently say they think government should be local and um, to agree with that saying on the on the level, then are you fine with people a um, ejecti- or even ejecting immigrants now that it's on the local level, I guess he's um, not for, for... Well, you know, I'm, I'm not
1: for uh, borders based on government lines at all. They should be based on private property. So when you say, do I support the uh, right of a community to expel people or decide who comes in? Um, Yeah, I I absolutely support that. Right. Do I support a policy that's discriminatory or that is, uh, you know, limiting in some larger scale on a community level? I don't support it. Um, But, you know, if if you come together and you make your gated community and private property and you say, uh, you know, no people with big noses allowed. Uh, you know, okay. I'm not gonna like. I'm not gonna come on your property and violate your rights that way. So if that's the case, you know, I, I support your right to do it. That doesn't mean I necessarily support you doing it. Um, I would want to live somewhere where I'm able to bring anybody I want right up to my house. So like where I live in Arizona, I have 10 acres. I think it's offensive that there are government borders in between me and other people who I would want to invite onto my property that I can't invite anyone on the world to come and travel freely there. Uh, But I would also respect the right of, uh, you know, that person. They don't, you know, community to exclude that person. And they might have to go around your territory if you have enough people with their private property who come together who want to make an exclusive community. So I, I think generally that's a bad idea. Yeah. I think you're generally at an economic disadvantage when you discriminate against people like that, when you keep people out. But if you're talking about like a residential community, you know, you're talking about, you know, a few people at the end of a cul-de-sac who wanna have, you know, their little area with their own security system. You wanna talk about even, you know, maybe a city state of people who come together and say, you know, we wanna be economically tied as we're geographically tied. and. You you can't come into our system unless you know unless you buy into it you know that's okay too
0: sure i can ask another one before Please you say. okay um touch just uh briefly if we can on uh russia today you i know you you work briefly with russia today and i just enjoy system that today both in america and here in europe and the uk is that it's uh that russia today is this state-funded propaganda machine what was your experience working with russia and how did you part ways in the end was that government oh, again was,
1: yeah well overall it was a great experience and you know it's some people will, will hold this against me and say yeah you were to work for the government yeah well i used to like you know torture people in iraq and you know on behalf of the american government And if you're gonna be on the airwaves, if you're gonna be on TV, if you're gonna be using the dollar in any way, you're participating in the government system. And my understanding of RT is that it's the Russian government poking the American government in the eye. And I'm there poking the American government in the eye anyway, so if if I get to be part of that finger, you know, for a little period of time, I, I think that's a great opportunity. In the tradition of the American founders getting foreign help to overthrow the British Empire in the first American Revolution, similarly, in this final American Revolution, uh, those of us true American patriots are going to need a lot of help from foreign powers. And I think overall, Russia is really more of a satellite of the of, of the American Empire. Its economy is about a thirtieth, one three zero thirtieth. Of the size of the United States, so it's really not that significant in in global terms. And my experience working with RT was awesome. It was it was very positive. Uh, they entirely respected my right to editorial control that I, I you know negotiated for in my contract. And you know we we parted ways because I think they realized that uh, a, a true libertarian is not just against the American government but against the very concept of government. And I was as outspokenly critical of Putin as uh, you know as, as anybody else in American media. And uh, you know made a very deliberate point to say I'm not a Russian puppet. I'm letting the, they're giving me this platform. I'm going to share my entire honest worldview with you. And that's what I did. So I was critical of Putin, especially before the midterm elections that he stole so egregiously in twenty eleven and uh I, I think that I was let go uh somewhat timed with the uh the next round of elections in in Russia
2: have another a libertarian five years hold
1: on can you say it again you're breaking up please
2: a libertarian for almost five years. You, Adam, helped come out of my shell and be more active in the liberty movement. Have you got any advice for a five-year libertarian of their shell and coming out their shell and becoming more active?
1: Well, I, I for, if I may uh, answer that question first by, by backing up and saying something I think is very important that not a lot of libertarians get, which is that this is not the eternal struggle between freedom and tyranny. This is one step in human evolution. Excuse me, that we get to lead the way forward and we get what to take am I this step. Here?
2: Sorry. I'll start with the eternal struggle.
0: What? Sorry. 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 <laughs> I think you just shocked him with what you said. I, I,
2: oh, okay. no, Sorry. no,
0: no. So
1: uh, we are we are here to bring about this important next step in human evolution. And like I said, in the United States, we eliminate the federal government, the state governments, we get government down in the counties. We're done. You know, we don't have to do anything at that point. Libertarianism is kind of irrelevant to the, the, the political conversation because government is already voluntary and more or less at the community level. So I, I wouldn't think about, you know, what what do I do to you know to be a better libertarian so much as how do I help humanity take this step forward. And for some people, it's not going out and talking to people. If that's not your skill set, that's okay. You know, it might be talking to people on the internet. It might be raising money for other organizations. It might be writing. It might be, you know, doing research. It might be helping with video production or or helping some other independent media campaign. You know, it could be any of those things. So don't necessarily think that what you have to do is is what I do. And, you know, go out and talk to people on the street and, and try to, you know, free people's minds that way. But if that's what you want to do, if that's what you find most satisfying, then just start doing it. You know, the, the learn like my book, Freedom. If it, if it's it's a hundred pages, if you master that material, you you don't need anything more to take into a conversation with a status. If it gets more complicated than that, you know, you need to stop and go. All right, we're gonna we're gonna Google that stuff. We're gonna look that up. But uh, just you just get out and you do it, and you start talking to people, and you get better and you get better and you get better. And if, if you stay in the love that's behind this message you don't argue with people be socratic be asking questions be engaged in a positive way uh don't you know be insulting or demeaning uh, any of those things if you want to watch my videos on youtube for some examples of how to do it a lot of people have said that those have helped and and you know how to uh, especially use the socratic dialogue and how to talk to strangers um but yeah I, i hope you see the bigger picture and understand that this is this is just this is our generation. This is our time. This is our opportunity. This is we get to to lead this this huge step forward in, in human progress. And everybody gets their own role in that. Don't be don't be uh, confined to thinking about it in political terms or activism terms or anything like this, because it could be that. Maybe your role is as an entrepreneur and maybe, you know, I mean, the guy who, who came up with Bitcoin, Satoshi Nakamoto, you know, maybe he, Satoshi, maybe he was, uh, you know, maybe he was thinking, gee, what can I do Imagine. to help the libertarian cause more than anything else? And he goes, yeah, we're going to, we're going to take down the monetary system by creating our own digital cryptocurrency. It could be something beautiful like that. So find what's, what's good for you. What's, what's based on your love, your talent, your capabilities, and figure out a way to incorporate that into your life as an activist that's sustainable so you don't burn out and that you can keep doing it in a way that's adding value to your life as well.
2: Yeah, for example, I hear that Scottish celebrity is always looking for people to share their media. <laughs> I mean, if you're not going to share one of our podcasts, well, <laughs> yeah, I and mean, I do recommend that if you're talking to people, as a really overcome social and some additional social skills and things like that. So, I, I think that it's not sort of the only way to help, but, you know, sometimes if you've got a good motivation thing, things are scary, more appealing. If you if you don't think about it, it just as oh I'm going to spread the message of liberty but oh I'm going to meet up with some libertarians that are more experienced with me and make, I'll make new friends, I'll maybe take some rest I'm not used to and speak to strangers and I'll discover that the world is a much less scary place so, Do you have um, your
0: uh, final question? Yeah,
2: maybe? one of the interesting and maybe unique is there's a section it called true personal freedom and one of the sections launches with emotional slavery. Can you tell us emotional yeah. slavery and what we can learn about that to have like in liberty from inside out? Well, one of the most influential
1: books that I've ever read is Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg. And I should have mentioned that in response to the last question. If you want to be that much better of a communicator, understanding the process of nonviolent communication, the methodology specifically around that is very important. And one of the most important tenets of nonviolent communication is understanding that you are responsible for your own emotions. No one can make you feel anything. And in that regard, in that realm, we are very careful to use language that is precise. So I can't ever say to someone in conversation, you made me feel this way. I can say, when you did this, then I felt this way. And that's a very important distinction. And it gets to the idea of emotional freedom, which is that no one gets to control the state of your mind, but you. People can put stimuli in front of you. They can uh, affect your physical world. They can even cause you physical pain or harm or deprivation. And ultimately, it is still your choice as to whether or not you're going to be happy or you're going to be satisfied or you're going to be content and focused and moving moving forward in, in in a centered Zen sense of being your truest self. And what happens with how human beings actually fail to live up to this, because we all do we all you know allow the stimuli to control us we allow other people to control our emotions so does government government definitely preys on this feature of human nature and uses it against us they provoke emotional responses in order to control people so when you understand that when you can stay attuned to that it can liberate you from that emotional control of government and a lot of this relates to Politicians giving speeches, the mainstream media interacting with police, the imposition of new laws, things like that. And when you are able to respond to those stimuli, those changes in your environment from a perspective of, I own myself. I own my mind. No one gets to decide my internal choice but me. That's emotional freedom. And that's a gift that you get to give people. You know, it's something that, that we don't talk about enough as really inherently linked to libertarianism. But it is one of the ways that libertarianism, when you really embrace it fully and, and live by it, again, possibly an impossible ideal, it really does make your life better. And you get to live more free as a result of this understanding.
0: Excellent, Adam. Uh, we don't want to waste on your time much longer. Uh, just Capitalism. that We are. We want to thank you for uh, for joining us. It's been an absolute privilege and a thrill. And I think I, I would say you're certainly one of the best guests we've <laughs> we've had on the show. So, and I would love it if uh, you would agree to maybe come back on and talk to us again at some time in the future.
1: Oh, I would love to. In fact, we're planning a European tour, which is going to have at least one stop in Scotland for next fall. So I hope there would be a time we can uh, we can get together on that and. And help promote that stuff. So, if you guys know a uh, a political science professor, perhaps in Edinburgh, who would who would like to host us on the uh, twenty eight, sorry, yeah, twenty eighteen European Freedom Tour, let me know. We'll, uh, we'll we'll make that happen. I'd really appreciate some help with that. But we are getting organized with that starting in January, and uh, I'm really excited because I, I speak um, I, I speak five languages: um, French, German, Arabic, Spanish. Uh, and Scottish just kidding Uh, English so (laughs) uh, I play I've given speeches in in German before and Spanish is my best of those so my goal before this European tour is to get good at all of those languages enough to be able to deliver a speech in them Uh, we are hitting uh, Beirut and Palestine as well on that tour we have someone working on the Arabic translation of freedom right now and uh, hopefully we'll have uh, printed versions of the translations in every uh, native language uh, that we've hit on that tour. we're going to do 40 cities in three months so I think we have about 15 languages in all those cities and we want to get translations done for all and and be given speeches in five languages really looking forward to that so hopefully you can have me back on before that and uh, you know sometime after the uh, this convention tour that we've got coming up organizing (laughs) for the Libertarian Party so thanks gentlemen appreciate it. We
2: wish
0: you every success with that.
2: Yeah, fantastic. Is there anything you'd like to share before you go? Anything you need to add or you're critical to find your book?
1: Uh well, yeah, I would just say go to the freedomline.com. I'm sure these guys will include the link. It's thefreedomline.com. You can get my book for free there in every digital format, including audiobook. You can find all of my uh places on social media. You can find my YouTube channel, but screw YouTube, we're getting away from YouTube. Uh steamit.com. That's the future. Blockchain-based social media. So anyway, thank you so much for listening. If you're listening still right now, it's the freedomline.com. And uh
2: Thank you. Thank you for being a part of this movement. Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. Until next time, be libertarians. Don't be righty. Or lefty.